Welcome back to Everyday Design, the podcast that looks at the impact of design on your everyday life. I am urbanist Rachel Fisher. And I'm interior designer Abigail Hall. And let's talk about what we've been doing this month. Rachel, what have you been doing? I went to the theatre. <gasps> I love the theatre, darling. I know, the drama. So I went to go see Company, and it's a new revival of the 1970s Stephen Sondheim musical Company. In the original musical, um, the main character is Bobby, and he is turning 35, and the whole musical is about him turning 35, kind of coming of age, changing his life, and reflecting on the marriages that all of his couple friends have. Okay. And his kind of interaction with them. In this, they've changed it so that Bobby is spelled with an I, and it's a 35-year-old woman. Fabulous. Amazing. Um, Still set in New York, still very New York, actually. And the set design, which is why I was thinking of it, the set design was incredible, because you're you're moving from place to place, and there's a lot of uh, kind of big, big palettes of scene work kind of perform different functions so you can walk between apartments and there's a whole is it is it all internal new york or is there any external there's one scene where they're sitting on the stoops of an apartment building um kind of the the brownstones brownstones and the beautiful stairs and it was funny actually a little bit little bits of detail where um all of the door numbers were 35 (laughs) always (laughs) echoing the age yeah yeah and there was lots of sort of repeating things through the through the um using set design yeah um and it was just, it was interesting because I'd, I'd seen I'd seen Company a couple of times in its original, original format. And it was interesting because the idea of a woman turning 35 has such a different connotation than a man I turning agree. 35. Man turning 35, gateway into adulthood and success, you know, and, and all of these things. Whereas for a woman, it's, well, why aren't you married at 35? It's judgment. You, what have you achieved by now? Yeah. Oh, it's all downhill for me. I'm... I'm quite happy, thanks. Yes. Um, I, I've actually got good things ahead of me. <laughs> yeah, and and it was and I'm I'm approaching a, a not my 35th birthday, and it and it really really made me reflect on when I turned 35. I was really really upset. It was the time when we were really trying for a baby and we really wanted a baby. And at 35, everybody says, you know, your fertility drops off a cliff, oh. and you think, how is it possible the that in the 24 hours between being 34 and 35, everything's gone wrong? <laughs> How is that even possible? So I was very, very down when I turned 35. I have to say I'm five years on. Um, I'm, I'm actually feeling much better Hold about on, this. I thought your milestone birthday was your, that you're turning 30. Yeah. So I think you're confusing being 25. <laughs> Rachel. Anyway. I don't, I, you know, maths I'm, may not you know be as strong I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm okay with it. I'm actually yes. pretty okay with my age. Um, That's because you look so great for it. Clearly. But it was... It was one of these amazing musicals that makes you laugh and cry and reflect. And part of that is about the design. Part of that is about this world that they're immersing you in. Yes. Um, And, I mean, it didn't hurt that Patti LuPone, who is the goddess of Broadway, at the age of 69, is performing a lead role six nights a week. Still in it. Still in it. Still going. She's just, I mean, honestly, if... Anyone is listening to this podcast and you can get tickets. Go see this. I liked it better than Hamilton. I've said it. Wow. I've said it. That's a review. Yes. So that's what I've been up to. Print that on the poster. (laughs) Rachel Fisher says. Like better than than Hamilton. Hamilton. (laughs) Well, what have you been up to? I've also been immersing myself in um, media of a Mm. different kind. We'll say theatre falls into that. Mine's more TV based. Um, It's been raining a lot. 
I have curly hair. I can't go outside. <laughs> I have to, and I've had um, a bit of new TV. Well, not new for everyone. I'm, I'm sure lots of our listeners have heard of the marvellous uh, Mrs. Maisel. I know that you love, I love it. That show. Um, set in 1950s New York. And I have just been immersed in just a design bubble. Yeah. The combination of the Upper East, yeah. the, the parquet, the plaster work, the outfits, oh my God, the jewel colours that they wear, the, the kitchen, the kitsch, 1950s kitchen, which of course wasn't kitsch at the time, it's incredibly contemporary. Mm. I want to recreate one of those kitchens. It's impossible. You can't get the appliances that small. <laughs> Everything's just... minute. I'm pretty sure you can in New York. Well, perhaps I need to go there. And then the juxtaposition of the kind of lower Manhattan, the exposed brick, the metalwork, everyone kind of wearing black polar necks, and that movement, the, oh, the studio, it's a little bit early, actually, for, for Studio 69. Oh, wait, yeah, no, no, definitely early for that, that was the 70s. Um, so I think but that it was still you still had the movement. You still had Pollock and yeah. So that's so that's was very much very, the period of Pollock very and, early doors yeah. of, of what we think of. But I I absolutely love that juxtaposition. Yeah, and I I could watch it on mute. <laughs> you wouldn't need to because it's such fam- fabulous content and acted so amazingly well. But it's just decadent for the eyes, and it got me thinking about yeah. TV programs and movies that are exactly that. They are something that you can just throw yourself into and are almost moving pieces of art. And three that I'm going to throw out there, and this is another main topic Mm. for one of our future podcasts, which is movies or TV programmes. Grand Budapest Hotel, Wes Anderson. Beautiful. Oh, just really, really, and he he has such a clear aesthetic in all of his films. He real and and there's a Wes Anderson aesthetic, but actually, each of his films are, are are perfectly encapsulated little worlds. And that's why you drop into them. Yeah. Uh, Great Expectations, the 1998 version. Do you remember that with Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman? I understand the reason why not. It is a bit of a bastardisation of Charles Dickens, but it's done with a completely green palette. And for that reason, it is beautiful to watch. And Memoirs of a Geisha, which is... Read the book, didn't see the film. Watch it just for the fact that it is hmm. a moving piece of art. So I was thinking of Mad Men as a yes. really clear, you know, again, one of those period pieces you, that drops you straight in. Modern. I love mid-century modern. I mean, which is also why I love And my love of Deco, which is yeah. why uh, yeah. uh, Grand Budapest. Interesting. So I've been immersing myself in design through the medium of TV, which is legitimate. <laughs> Not watching TV, immersing myself in design. Through the medium of TV. Exactly. So so good design, bad design. What have you been experiencing this month? So last month I was traumatised by spoons. You were. I was. Uh, this month I've been reflecting on pepper mills. I love a pepper mill. Only I, a functioning pepper mill This though. is the thing. I have had far too many pepper mills which are beautiful to look at, lovely to hold and fundamentally cannot crack pepper. Yeah. I mean, how hard is it to crack pepper? Apparently it's very difficult because I have been through a series, a litany, if you will, of expensive pepper mills. And they are expensive, aren't they? They can be extremely expensive. And so I kept thinking, no, I'm just going to keep spending more money and buying more and more pepper mills. And then eventually, after the latest 40 quid pepper mill finally died and just stopped cracking pepper, um, I 
was complaining about this to my husband who then did some online research and found the crush grind peppermill which you know no sponsorship please but <laughs> the crush grind peppermill I have been buying for everyone birthdays weddings whatever because it's got a ceramic pepper it's got a kind of ceramic mechanism and we've been using this one for seven years and it has not broken and the salt one also similarly works incredibly well and really and aesthetically they're quite nice it does make a huge difference because I I'm a coarse pepper kind of gal interesting interesting that's those are choices but I know some people like to have their pepper grinders be super fine and Mm. I like the ability to change it can you do that so you can so with these you can you can adjust the coarseness I think we're on a kind of medium grind okay we'll we'll talk about something for everyone but it's interesting growing up uh in the states we don't use pepper mills on a daily basis there's something fancy in the kind of um, fancy Go to an Italian restaurant and it's a big phallic. Yeah, yeah, big, big, big pepper mill. Big yeah. pepper mill. Definitely not The over, biggest. Not over The biggest pepper mill. So, um, no, so salt and pepper shakers on every table. So you have ground pepper everywhere. Which I dislike. I do now the too. Very, it just very tastes fine, a little dusty. Yeah, I, I dislike yeah. that. And I think it doesn't age particularly well. No, and that's the other thing. So obviously that's what one likes about freshly cracked pepper yeah. is that it yeah. has the, the kind of spice. And I like a pink peppercorn. And those tend to be a little bit softer, so you do need a good pepper grinder because mm. otherwise they just kind of mash up, yes. macerates them rather than grinds them. Indeed. Oh, watch your space. I shall report back. Indeed. And I you might need to get a new one to go with your new kitchen. I will need to get a new Clearly. one to go in a new kitchen. Clearly. What, what has been good and bad in your life? Well, I was, I was actually listening to a podcast which was talking... You do surprise me. I, I know. So out of character. And it was talking about um, Vivian Westwood and her store on the King's Road in 1970s and kind of punk and there's a quote from her and it was to do with being a creator being an innovator being a producer being an artist and how she needed to output and she needed to stay ahead and she naturally did stay ahead because she was constantly creating Mm. and it made me think about how many wonderful creators there are which got me thinking about what is good design and bad design for me I love to source little finishing details that someone has really put time and love. I'm talking Mm. about a handle for a cabinet, a a trim, a frame on your picture, not being a general Ikea one, which are sometimes okay. Legitimate choices. And I, over and over again, use Etsy. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, the amount of times people will look at a finished palette that I've done. So you've got fabrics that are exceptionally expensive, carpets that have been imported, and the piece that people pick out will be the detail. <laughs> the tiny little thing. And I'm telling you, it's almost always from Etsy. That's so and funny. And it's definitely not the most expensive thing in the room. Yeah. But because there has been a creator, an innovator, a producer, an artist involved in it, people see that. And it, it stands out because of that love and attention that's been lavished on it. And... I like mm. it that there are people out there that are producing that have a global audience. Yeah. And I want that to be encouraged. So if you don't know about Etsy and it's uh, E-T-S-Y, I thought for a while that it might be Etsy, like it was Pig Latin. But I don't know where I got that from. I think I just well, made that up in my head. No. So it is Etsy, yeah. right? Good. It, yeah. You know when you've never heard anyone say it apart from yourself? <laughs> in your mind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then you think the whole time I could have just been saying it wrong. That's entirely true. There's a whole series of words that I have embarrassed myself by saying. But then I say, oh, it's okay. That's how we say it in America. Oh, you have that. I do have that. Oh, I just sometimes say I'm so, posh. That's from how the I pronounce it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so Etsy, if you there's an app, there's a website, and it has a really good function on it, which I think all websites should have that are selling product. The ability to like it and retain it for an infinite period of time. Yeah. It doesn't time out, you don't have 60 days, it's not that you're putting it in a shopping basket, it yeah. disappears. And I almost have a little collection now of beautifully curated Etsy pieces. Almost like a Pinterest board. It is almost like a Pinterest board, but when I I'm can in buy the mood, them. I can buy it. As long as someone hasn't bought it before me, because of course often they are one-offs. That's and then I get Etsy remorse. <laughs> oh, there needs to be a specific word for that kind of remorse. There is, there needs to be therapy for it. But... It's interesting to me because I think uh, Etsy isn't the only online store that's available. Oh, so you can use Amazon Marketplace, you can use eBay, eBay. obviously. Um, but you would say, oh, I got that on Etsy in a way that isn't quite the same as you said, oh, yeah, no, I bought that on eBay. Yes, and I do think part of that is because if I'm buying it for a client, there still needs to be an association of this is something that was um, it was sourced. Yeah. So someone's yeah. made, I've made the effort to find it. But it's come from somewhere that's got authenticity Whereas sometimes I think eBay I people think China. Well, I don't know. well, which is which is fair, but I guess I just wonder. So some of the things in my house that I love, I bought on eBay. Um, so I've got a black ash. Uh, so it's an ash sideboard that's been stained black. That's from heels in yes. you know probably the sixties or seventies or something. Um, and I love it. And I bought it on eBay because I was filling a large house uh, with a lot of furniture. Um, I have no problem saying I got this on eBay. Um, I think it's a great place to buy secondhand furniture and a lot of it's stuff. And why would you buy new? I completely agree with you. When we had our IKEA episode, yeah. we talked about that and how sources of things. And actually, I haven't ever bought furniture off Etsy. I have off eBay. Mm. This is smaller pieces. Yeah. Uh, uh, up to a chandelier. So I should say, I have a couple of friends who have Etsy shops, so um, which I will link to. So uh, one of my friends is a artist, and she has she sells her watercolors, prints of her watercolors, and um, has a whole Christmas card line, uh, which which are that. lovely. Yes. Um, and another friend of mine had been collecting vintage kind of porcelain and that sort of thing, and she's now set it up as an Etsy shop because she realised that her collection had slightly overstripped her ability to use that many jars or canisters um and yeah so she's and so she's selling that on, as well kate's vintage shop and oh, what's nice yeah. about this these are both uh, british sellers they are so a lot of the items that i've bought have come from america which is no no problem at all shipping internationally absolutely yep. fine that's of course all set up um and i really like it because, but a lot of times i tell people about it and they've never they've never heard of it or if they've heard of it they've never used it so I just encourage well, people to. Now you have heard of it. There we go. Now you should use it. And we've done a little bit of a joint thing. We have. This month. We've done an another designing together, together. Together. Well, it was our shared love of Farrow and Ball. Well, one of the things that brought us idea. together originally, I think. Yeah, that yeah. we could talk ad infinitum. So if you are alive and slightly middle class in Britain, you will be aware of the paint store Farrow and Ball. Um, some would say it's overpriced. I would say it's really good paint. And it's just paint. Uh, so they do paints and wallpapers. And this month, they have released nine new colours. Only in, only in Britain could you really get this level of excitement about new paint. It was reported in, in the national press. There was an excellent... Uh, article in the Times, which we will link to, uh, kind of as a bit of a piss take of the the new colours and and, and and the cult and the cult of fair and, and the fact and the fact is actually you do have to 
poke a little bit of fun you at yourself. Oh, you do. We take ourselves very seriously when we talk about We our, take our, our design incredibly seriously incredibly on this seriously. podcast. And so it's important that when you're talking about uh, paint colours such as sulking room pink, that you do, you know, it needs to be said with a wry smile. My, you know, my, my living room is elephant's breath. And... And that's fine. And you chose that because you absolutely love the colour. And I quite liked the name. Yes. And, the, you know, the kitchen's cat's paw. I have never met a cat with a paw that's that kind of caramel colour. But I will look to find a cat that goes well with my house. And if you did, you would get said cat. And it would be in the kitchen. And, and it I would, would call it Furrow. Only in haunts. That would be fabulous. Oh that would be amazing. You need to do that. My current cat would not be okay with that. Cadmus is I'm very upset at this prospect. <laughs> anyway. So we went, and what I really liked about the, these nine new colours that were released is, first of all, apart from two of them, mm. which are neutrals, one is a, a variation of a white. Yeah, which it's is schoolhouse white, which I didn't love. I think it's a very cold white. I think it would be good for ceilings if you have got a lot of money and do want to have a fire and ball colour on your ceiling. And <sighs> that is the one thing to say. Yeah. I agree with you. I think it is value for money. But when you are doing multiple rooms, if you are doing your skirting, your walls, yep, yep. your ceilings, your covings, it, it does add up. It does. But at the same time, what I've... So all of all of the paint in my house is basically fair and Everything, ball. I think and I... You don't do it all at once. You almost never paint all of a house at the same time. Even I, having ripped out every wall in my house, needed to do every wall at the same time, and we didn't. Um, sometimes you need to live in a room, live in a house, before you kind of work out what the right colour is. In fact, I've changed the colour in two of my in two rooms um, in the nine years that we've been there because it just wasn't quite right. I, I agree with that, and that is generally just good advice to live mm. in a space you could always just paint it white if you've done what and I've done is a, is a refurb yeah. and just see how the light plays in the space. Um, I think you, you've been you know, very honest. You've tried things and you've said, actually, yep. I, I love it on paper. It just doesn't work in that space. And that is the beautiful thing about paint. You, you can You just paint. paint over it. And even though it is more expensive, a it's compared, still Compared not to other paints. Insane It's not you wallpapers. Know, wallpapers. It's, not, it's not de Gournay. It's not uh, Zubair wallpapers where you're spending... I have literally no idea what words you've just used. <laughs> I have never heard of these words. They're special, special the, interior, professional interior yes. designer words. They are, they are more money than God Excellent. type supply words. And Excellent. yes, I have got my eye on a beautiful uh, de Gournay wallpaper. And one day when I've worked out how to sell my soul, um, <laughs> I will, I will I like be... It's not in question. I'm just... I'm just working it out. I'm just, I'm just negotiating the deal. Um, <laughs> but in the meantime, I will continue to use Farrow and Ball because it is, a, of course, a favourite of mine as well. So they, they have released these new colours, two of them being neutrals, this, this white and um, Jinty, which is a... Jitney. Jitney, thank Jitney, you. Which is the name of the kind of uh, bus that takes you from New York to the Cape oh, every summer. I love that. And it's kind of, it, there's a sandy. It's a sort of sandy colour. Yeah it's, yeah, it's the beach bus. The jitney. There you go. There is some no idea what that comes from. Well, let's just say it's let's just say that there's authenticity in yeah. the name. Yeah. The other colours, however, are colours. They are greens. Boy, blues, are red. they? Uh, Even the one that claims to be a neutral, Payan black. Payan. Payan. No idea. Again, one of those words that I've never heard said. It's that whenever there's an A e, followed by an E. Followed by an A. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. It's like just too many vowels. I, I draw for a living. I, <laughs> too with, many vowels. With the words, not so. So not that so colour, uh, despite being called pain black, um, is really a very, very dark, dark, purpley red 
gorgeous color. Yeah, it's it is beautifully deep. It and there's so many layers, and you can imagine like on a large surface, particularly with with quite a lot of direct light. Just striking. In the store that we went into, where the ladies could not have been more helpful. So amazing. And it's absolutely worth saying that. Um, we, so we were at the Marlebin store in London, and they were just incredibly And we helpful. reached, we actually reached out to Farron Ball before we went in and, and did our designing together, because we wanted to get a, a soundbite or get some information about the production methods and the integrity. We wanted to understand more about yeah. the paint so we could talk to you guys about it. Sadly, they, there was no one available. Perhaps we left it a little bit too late. But as it was, <laughs> no, I, as I said, I draw for a living. Organisation isn't my strong suit. <laughs> um, as it was, we went into the store and the knowledge Amazing. that these individuals had was absolutely phenomenal. I, I don't think we were any, the, any no. the worse off for not having an interview with someone who's involved in the production side. Any questions that you have about their product, the, the content of it, the level of pigment. The titanium oxide... Exactly. Right. Which or, is this amazing chemical that enables it to reflect light. Even though it has only 2% sheen, some of them. Yeah, so they're incredibly it. matte, but they but they do reflect light. It's just... Which is why the quality of we, that we and feel... And that's why I get so excited about uh, the Pharaoh and Vault. So um, as, as regular listeners to this podcast will know, we spent last month redoing our bathroom. And we repainted uh, the bathroom in Teresa's Green. And when we walked in... Um, it was such an odd experience because it looked at the, it was freshly painted. It had just dried and it looked like each of the walls was painted in a different mm. color paint. And that was entirely down to the way in which the light was playing and the light was falling on the paint. Amazing. Really, really incredible. It gives a, it gives a depth of color that you otherwise wouldn't have. Anyway, I, and, I, I go on too much. And before Farrow and Ball was as mainstream as it is now mm. and available as it is now, I learned that trick from an artist where I went into the house and they painted every single wall a, a slightly, slightly different, different shade, which works. You can't really actually do it with Farron Ball. You no. don't need to, as you found out. You can do it with the um, industrial Dulux where you've yep. got the 7,000 colours. Yep. Um, you did that, didn't I, you? I did it in my living room in, uh, in Wentworth Road yeah, when I was living in uh, Birmingham. Yeah. I had a house before I moved to London and lived in the box. <laughs> very the beautiful box re- well, to be very beautiful box. to be very beautiful um, but as I said so you, you go into these stores these are not intimidating places they are people if you think we're passionate about Farron Ball and colour you have got just the most welcoming warm environment and we asked really really basic questions yep. both of us know about this area a lot but we still want to say what are the trends what are people doing are, are people painting their ceilings how are people using yeah. these colours um is the wallpapers, because I know a lot of you, if you know about Farron Ball, you may have access to paints, but may not have seen the wallpapers. Wallpapers, very traditional printing techniques. Gorgeous. And, and again, because the paint is being kind of dropped and drawn on and painted onto it, uh, onto the papers, they Stenciled have a lot of on, texture. Stamped on. Yeah, they have a lot of, the wallpapers themselves have a huge amount of texture. They're fantastic. And just a little note about um, Farron Ball wallpapers, which I've used and installed an awful lot. It's always incredibly important to make sure that you have the same batch number when you're using oh wallpapers. Oh my goodness. Um, that's, always, that's true across the board. Any, every single wallpaper manufacturer will say that. It is imperative with Farron Ball. Really? Yes, because there's a lot of stretch in their paper mm. and you will find that two different batches that it simply will not align. It's not that the colours won't necessarily match huh. the, the the stretch of it. Now, what's, if you speak to Farron and Ball, they are very, very good at giving you this kind of advice. So just as we found in store when you're talking about the yep. colour, 
they'll give you advice about that. So my, I think my take home yeah. about this, I went in to go and see some beautiful colours, which we'll show on the website, yeah. on Instagram, on Twitter. But my takeaway was, I'm now going to go and ask them their advice. Yeah. There was no pressure. And they do a free in-home colour consultancy. Which as well, it? which is fantastic. Which even I would use, even someone who's been doing this for years and years, I'd yeah. be really interested. They're an expert in what they do. Yeah. Why not ask them? And one thing I think you're super excited about, which is worth mentioning, there is Emma? no Farrow and Ball colour that ever <gasps> This is amazing. They have an production. entire... So my Cat's Paw kitchen, Cat's Paw has now been archived. And what that means is that it's not on the colour chart anymore, but I can call them up and order an entirely new batch of cat's paw and it will arrive in a couple of days and I can repaint my kitchen in, in the same colour. any quantity, in any finish, the only thing they don't do is have the sample pots. And the other thing that you can do is you can order an archived um, fan. So they have these amazing kind of books of large swatches of all of their paint colours. Abby bought one of the current one. Because I'm doing my flat, so I want to have a look at it against all the materials that I've got. £15 for this. So worth which... it. And you can get a fan of just the archived colours. I was also a little bit overexcited about that. And it does make a difference because sometimes when you see the new colours and you think, well, what about my favourite? Well, don't worry. Well, this is the thing. I mean, the more I think about, you know, we've got the twins, they're handprints all over my kitchen. And I keep thinking, oh God, we're going to have to repaint. And I really am very, very happy. That is one paint choice that I know it I works. nailed. Like, I know I nailed that. I would have to rip out the entire kitchen and start again before I think that there would be a better colour for that room. So we were... I might post a picture of my kitchen just for fun. <laughs> Please do. Okay. Please do. Um, and this leads us very neatly on to what is our main topic, which is about the use of colour, both internally and yeah, in the exterior world. Yeah. We both have very, very strong views on this. Surely not. <laughs> so out of character of us to have these strong views... <laughs> Now, I, I am going to talk about it from an interior perspective because yep. that, that is my, my expertise. I find that people are scared of colour. Mm. Full stop. I find that in the way that they dress, in the way that they do their homes, in the choices of their cars. Yeah. I feel that neutral equals safe. Yeah. I am also aware that some people say, no, I am neutral. That is me. I am calm. I am beige. I am... No, I don't think anyone's ever actively <laughs> said that I am beige. I don't think a beige person would know. I don't think they'd have the personality to be talking to me and get a word <laughs> in edgewise. Frankly, <laughs> Rachel can't actually talk at the moment because she finds this so hilarious because it's true. They say it with their sad eyes. <laughs> go on, go on. And I am well aware that most of you listening probably will have a dominant neutral palette in your life. There is nothing wrong with that. I push back against it because for me, colour is not just that, a colour. It is an association. Hmm. I can show 500 people the same colour. They will have different reactions to it. And when I ask them about what their reaction is, there often is a story that is an association. Yeah. Oh, well, I love that because... It reminds me of yeah. this time when... Or, oh my God, my school was painted that colour. I hate it. It's not the colour, it's the power of association. And if you acknowledge that, if you acknowledge that colours actually have associations, good and bad, mm. then you can start to use them. 
and I'm going to use the example of dressing now because actually we, we redo our homes so ill-frequently it's very difficult for us yeah. to be able to yeah. recognise the impact of colour. Think about the last time that you wore a really bright coloured scarf or pair of earrings or jacket, whatever it might be. How many compliments you've got? Hmm. People like colour. Colour does But is that bring because out. it stands out? So people notice it, like your little Etsy things that are in people's homes. So, so those details, those little flourishes stand out. So if I wore all colour, you wouldn't notice because I would just be awash in colour. Whereas, okay. because I tend to wear... You'd be Zara Rhodes. Black, exactly. Yeah. And then you had a red scarf, people would compliment it. What a great scarf. Because it's a pop of colour, yeah. it's an accent. And yes, you're absolutely right. But also because it's a choice. Yeah. You've clearly uh, actively made that choice. And a lot of people, when they're making a compliment about something, they might follow up with, that's brave. I wouldn't be brave enough to. <laughs> Do I always say that's a compliment. As saying it now, I'm wondering is... I'm pretty sure it's a compliment. <laughs> Most people. That haircut's brave, Abby. Hold on, let me think about that now. <laughs> Very brave glasses, Abby. Very brave glasses. But my point is, I would like people to consider colour in their homes mm. and try it... In things that are a little bit more disposable. Cushions. Exactly. Exactly so. The cushion. Yeah. The throw, the candle. Yeah. And work out why it is you like colour. And when you go different places, when you go to restaurants and hotels... You and do really. Like, if you see, like, say, a turquoise candle, what it does is it just sort of pops this little bit of colour. And you notice that, um, whereas you might not notice the rest of the room. I agree. And if you look at magazines yeah. with the big room display... It will often have a floral arrangement in it. If you mm. put your thumb over that, you'll realise that that entire room can be really insipid. But if it wasn't for that focal piece... Interesting. And that's what colour can be. I guess my concern is just... So my worry about colour... So my house is very... I don't think anyone say... I don't have white walls almost anywhere, but it is very tonal and it is very neutral-ish, right? And I guess my worry is that I'm going to make the wrong choice. It is a fear. I understand that. But what is the consequence of getting it wrong in reality? You paint a wall, you, you paint it over. Others' judgment? Well, first of all, we need to talk about that. <laughs> it's your home. No. It's your sanctum sanctorum. It can yeah. be whatever you want. And I'm not suggesting that if you've lived a completely neutral life, you should suddenly paint every single wall a really bold colour. That will be too much. Also, I worry about having too many things be the focal point. So one of the things about my sanctum sanctorum is that I want it to be restful. I want it to not overly challenge me. I want to surround myself with things that are beautiful that I love, um, but I don't want a riot of things kind of assaulting me because I live in a big city and I get assaulted visually every day. And I completely understand that. And I believe that you can have a very soft palette or a very gentle palette, but that includes colour. Interesting. Just don't think of it as only neutrals. And I think you. I think if you look at Farron Ball, which we've just been talking about as our uh, joint activity, look at some of the greens, look at some of the blues. Mm. They are very, very soft. Yeah. Almost, as my friend tried to argue to me once, the new neutral. N no. But I like that she tried. No, because I, actually yeah. what she was saying is you can have a, a palette that is calm. And so my bedroom is... For. Yeah, I mean, my bedroom is a very dark, very dark, very bold turquoise actually in many ways very bold um but it is but it is incredibly soft because i've used a bunch of that tone because you're not cast you're not contrasting yeah. no it's harmonizing exactly. but how does this work 
on the exterior when you're when you're doing your your, so, your planning in this huge oh. areas how does is color even something that's considered so i i don't think so i think color is something that grows up in a city so you think of you know bologna as being very red and yes. you think of um london uh, it, I was reading an article. Remember, I that think was, of as Portland Stone. Do and you? Yellow, yeah, the London so stock. So I think of that. Yeah, so I think of London as the London stock, that very warm golden yeah. color. Um, I was reading an article about colors in cities, which I will I will link to, and she was talking about how London is very gray, and I was thinking it's not gray, it's very gold. I mean, on a gray day, on a, well, everything's gray. Right. But London is stunning in the mm. sunshine. I mean, most most cities are, I guess, but. Um, it reminded me of an article I read, and I could not for the life of me dig it out, but because I read it in a kind of photocopied form when I was 20 at university. Um, and it was by John Summerson, who's a great architectural critic um, and historian. And he was writing about um, Butterfield, who was this Victorian architect. Yes. And he was very taken with the idea of... Um, stripy architecture okay so you get this thing in the kind of late 19th century in this very high victorian period where they're using different colors of brick yes um and it can reflect different things so in oxford you've got a building which i think is the natural sciences building um and they've used the different colors of brick to talk about the passage of time to oh, talk about the different nice. layer the different geological yeah. layers the natural history the natural history museum, 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 museum exactly similarly the same. and so butterfield is very much in this and he designs these churches that everybody hates I mean, even at the time, people were just like, oh my it's God. It's gaudy. God, yeah, horrific. Just high Victoriana at the point, you know, peak Victoriana. Which, this, uh, which it, I love. It just, but yes. It has now tipped over. <laughs> too much. <laughs> too much. And of course, peak this is, style. And of course, this is coming off the back of the Georgian period, which is. Very neoclassical, yes. very quite austere. Large windows, high large ceilings. windows, lots of repetition of pattern, very vertical. S yes, and suddenly the Victorians are coming in, and Butterfield in particular is coming in, um, and it was they called it, one of his was talked about the glory of ugliness. Oh wow! I mean, properly crazy, right? Yes. And so, what Summerson was talking about, and I, this image has always stuck with me. He talks about imagine you're walking through a London street. And you're surrounded by these brick buildings, which are black yes. and grey because of the smoke and the they, and coal uniform and, all, and, and their uniform. And then you have this shaft of colour and stripes in the middle of everything. I mean, it just that is a that but is a numinous experience. That is an experience of being the, in a city. That's the accent that you, we were just been talking about from the interior. Butterfield churches, the cushions of the Victorian <laughs> of the Victorian city. Slightly harder More and expensive larger. and larger, yes. but like a cushion exactly. in a city. And, and I guess this is the thing about you know, my, my thinking about kind of cities are often seen as being very grey, very neutral, mm. but you do get these pops of colour and these um, really challenging buildings that enter a city and you think, oh my God, and then, and then you get used to them. And then they become iconic. Exactly. And a landmark. But just like in an interior setting, not everything can be a landmark. Exactly right. I used to have this issue when I worked in um, urban regeneration, mm. when I worked for an economic development agency many lifetimes ago, and every application, it seemed, for the, the buildings oh. that we were part funding were going to be iconic. This drives me absolutely Not crazy every building can be iconic it ceases to be iconic when everything, everything is, is iconic. To be iconic yeah um, no. now i think about color i think about the street in notting hill where every single yes. house is painted a different color and actually there's there's various versions of that so there's you get them in bristol you get them in oh. brighton you get them or or think about um or think about 
where everything's painted the same color. Yes. So think about uh, Regent's Park and yep. the beautiful stucco buildings around Regent's Park. And they all, and sometimes they're a little bit pink. Yes. And sometimes they're a little bit yellow. Holland Park, Holland Park yeah. is exactly the same. And you've got the dark, dark architectural metalwork against yeah. the white uh, stucco render it's ah it and is when stunning. i was on when i was on holiday um uh, around easter we went to kiosk which is this mm. small island um that i would never in greece which i never normally would have gone to but my friends were living there for a year and i thought well why not why not and there's this little town um a little medieval village called pergi uh on kiosk it's called the painted village and what's and i'll post some um some of my holiday snaps um what's amazing about it is that they've um through the through the through kind of scraping away at the uh, the render, what's the mm. stuff that you call on the outside of the yeah. buildings? Any of the render, mm -hmm. um, it looks like the buildings are black and white in these amazing geometric designs, I mean, and it's you, everywhere. You showed me, and I thought it was ornate tile work. Yeah, and it's not. It's literally just scraped into. Yes the render it's incredible but because everybody's done it because this is the and, style and of this city and in a uniform way this very yeah. geometric patterns and always the same palette the same dark it's and white. all black and white yeah it's all black and white and it's absolutely magical and you yeah and it was it was one of these you know ugh, are we going to go to another medieval village there's like same time. a bunch of it for a very small mm. island there are a surprising number of small medieval walled villages in Good Nick. Anywho, um, it's all the mastic trade. Mm. Anyway, um, we went to a, a museum of I, mastic. I, I imagine. Yeah, anyway. yeah. So, um, but this, but this one just stands out because it's completely different from any other of the little villages that we went to, and it's just incredible. And and it is. It's black and white, and 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 all on that same palette. And in that instance, you've got this this very very high patterned and mm. visually very stimulating occurrence but it's because it's happening consistently through the whole village you're not overwhelmed by it exactly if because one, it becomes... if one was red and white and the next one was green and yeah. blue and it would be okay too yeah, much yeah. but actually and to me when i saw it i said oh my god it looks moorish it does it does i thought it looked italianate um who can say no i'm not going to pretend that i'm an expert in every single um architectural period but i liked it and i think you guys will too so what are we doing next month abby I'm really excited to be going to the RA, Royal Academy. There's various things on. There are. There's lots of things on. In fact, my friend, Indy Johar, um, and his Dark Matter Labs and Architecture 00 have an exhibition on in the architectural suite um, called We Are They. Well, I'm going to be going and seeing that now I've found that out. <laughs> That's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, so it's basically about invisible landscapes. So it's about how the digital world impacts, um, impacts our lives and also thinking about what does kind of the the rise of the digital future mean about things about words like privacy or Ooh. justice i mean really i mean deep and heavy stuff oh that's but through the medium of architecture and i think that there's a, a video i think that's something that we could actually do together i think that is talk about yeah let's actually do that okay because i was thinking there's there's two other exhibitions there at the moment i'm interested in seeing there's a, um, a photographic one but the one i was particularly interested in going to is the um oceana oceana oh, I don't know now how to say it. I, I think Oceanic? it's just Oceanic. Ocean. No, it's Oceanic. Anyway. Um, I had a client who had an absolutely huge private collection of um, uh, Polynesian art. Huh. And he... We were going That's to... Interesting. It's very interesting. And we actually approached Sotheby's and we were negotiating the sale of it. Mm. And then he changed his mind and decided <laughs> he didn't want to let it go. Um, and I'm really interested to go because a lot of the pieces, they do come from uh, museums and galleries from all the way from... Australia, East Islands, as, as far as Hawaii, 
Um, but a lot of them are also private collections. Oh, wow. Because this this literally was people turning up and trading, saying, yeah. I'll give you this and in exchange. And interesting, so I wonder if they'll also have, like, Gauguin's and other uh, people who went to the Pacific Islands and painted. I, I, I believe it is all um, art that originates in those locations, right, okay. as opposed to people's view of it. But it would be really nice to see yeah. that. So I'll, I'll report back and tell you how it is. I'm excited. I'm going to Florence, where the oh. art comes from. Well, you know, how horrible for you. I think I have to come with you. Well, clearly. To hold your hand and help you get through this horrible <laughs> I, time I will, in your I life. So I've been reading, um, in preparation for this, I've been reading The Stones of Florence by Mary McCarthy, oh. which um, is a kind of travelogue that was written in nineteen, in the late 1950s, I think published as a, as a whole book in 1959. Um and she just has the most amazing her turn of phrase. Her, her use of language is just incredible. So I'm really, really enjoying that. And I'm very much looking forward to going to Florence because uh, I've never been. Oh, it's just, it's Medici-tastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, <laughs> thank you for listening. And thank you for being part of Everyday Design. Everyday Design. Everyday Design. Everyday design.